What if Apple and Google cut down the App Store fee to 5%? What if attribution SDKs get banned from the App Stores? What if Bitcoin goes to half a million dollars? What if Elon Musk buys Facebook? Welcome to another episode of Podrick the Podcast, Exploring the Multiverse. In our wacky series, I, Maor Sadra, CEO and co-founder at Incremental, speak with thought leaders and industry experts, asking them crazy and not so crazy hypothetical questions. The reason we started the series is while the scenarios mostly sound very unlikely to happen, change is the only constant in our world and everything that could happen often does. In today's episode, I spoke with Pau Cecilia, who's a performance marketing manager at the world's largest cryptocurrency trading platform, Binance. Pau and I already spoke in the past, so make sure to listen to the previous interview once you're done with this one. We spoke about ChatGPT, the perfect attribution model, and Apple going back and changing their mind about privacy. It was awesome speaking with Pau again, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation. Pau, again, welcome to uh, our third season, and uh, it's nice to have you again as an interviewee. Yeah, thanks for having me again, second time here. Such a pleasure. Yeah, and it's it's nice because the last time, like, uh, you were, uh, actually, again, you took the call, you took the interview call, like, I think it was your last call before you went on, like, a 30-hour, like, travel itinerary uh, from Thailand back to Europe. Yeah, I actually forgot about that. I remember having my backpack next to me and I was literally taking the flight back to Europe right after we recorded the podcast. Yeah. So today yeah. you're in a little bit more of a comfortable setup. Um, so yeah, I'm back home now. I'm actually coming uh, to Israel, something that I didn't tell you next week. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Okay. I am. Yeah. Just for the weekend. So let's definitely uh, okay. hang out there. Cool. 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 Why are you staying in Tel Aviv? I do not have a place yet. <laughs> I should be looking at it. <laughs> okay. Well, if you need recommendation, ping me later uh, separately, and I'll be happy to. Um. So, uh, Pau, before we start the interview itself, and I'll tell you kind of like the the format and the theme. Um. Maybe again for the new listeners, give a short introduction about yourself. Sure. Um. Hi, everybody. I'm Pau. I'm a performance marketer uh, working at Binance at the moment. I do specialize in Google, uh, pretty much everything Google-related, search, uh, YouTube, display, uh, getting into Pmax now, um, UAC, you name it. Um, also touching a bit of retargeting, even though I am more passionate about product marketing, to be honest, than the campaign management itself, I was just thinking about it. I, I do like more like the building the project kind of thing rather than the day-to-day -day optimizations. You know, after the whole strategy is built and the processes are in place, I just can like to handle it over to somebody else. Um, but anyway, yeah, I've uh, been here for more than a year now. Um, been quite overright, uh, been in crypto, such a, a cool industry. Um, and yeah, ready to whatever is coming. Cool. So uh, we're going to be talking about what ifs. Okay. So our, our the title of this, uh, like this new season, which is season three in our podcast, is Exploring the Multiverse. Okay. Uh, where we talk about hypotheticals, okay? Hypotheticals which are likely not going to happen, but like we've been in this like industry, everything could happen. And uh, again, you you mentioned you you live in the crypto world, with everything could happen. Um, so uh, yeah, let's get started with the first question. And you mentioned like you're you're basically like um, handling Google, so like you live and breathe Google, you know Google Ads. But let's go for a crazy hypothetical. 
What if Google were to offer an ads-free subscription model for search? Right, that would be kind of like a freemium model, kind of like what Spotify does, right? Yeah. Um, you just pay not to get the ads. Okay. Yeah. Let me say, first of all, from all the questions that you sent over, I think that is the most unlikely case scenario. Um, I'm glad it is. Um, <laughs> basically, because I think that... Um, search ads itself, um, the, the, the type of placements are probably the less intrusive type of ads, uh, digital ads that you can find out there. Um, they do serve a purpose, right? They are, they are not meant to be intrusive at all. They're meant to uh, be perfectly adjusted to what the user is asking for and to be even more um, useful in that sense than what an organic result would be. That would depend on the marketer's power of you know, being accurate with their keyword targeting and offering uh, a customized uh, and, and perfectly accurate ad experience depending on the query that the user is searching for. So given the fact that this would be unlikely, again, uh, it gives me some peace of mind. Uh, I was a little bit, uh, get me some anxiety when you sent the question over. Um, this being said though, and the second point would be that it would be crazy expensive than you think. A model like this, uh, if you make some numbers, um, I have seen, uh, especially for very long-tailed, uh, high-intent type of keywords, I have seen CPMs in top tier one countries up to $200, $300. That's not something rare to see. Um, so if you run the numbers, how much money would Google, would it cost to Google to offer a, a, a plan that allows the user to not see the ads, that skips this type of placements, right? Um, Given the CPMs, I was calculating it would be like sixty to seventy dollars per uh, per user per month, which I would definitely not pay. I'm still, uh, uh, you know, a believer on search ads, and uh, I think um, that would be not the way to go. Um, if we think about our point of view, though, as a marketer, I think we would probably be losing the highest valuable customers that we could ever target, right? Especially for this long tail. Um, um, very niche type of keywords, if we are not able to target those users, um, we would be basically losing, again, the, the, the highest valuable user segment because, you know, a user who's able to pay or willing to pay 60 to $70 for a subscription, I just, again, came up with the price. Um, this is the most valuable user that we would uh, like to acquire, right? So. I, I, so a, I, I agree with you. By the way, with the ballpark, I actually think that's like makes sense, and I, I'm actually pretty sure that we can probably pull the numbers from like Google reporting how much in average and like a a user um, generates for them from search. Now, on the other hand, actually, when you think about it, so you have YouTube Premium, okay? You have YouTube Premium ads free. I think it's like fifteen bucks a month or something like that, which is also not the cheapest in the world. Um, but I think we don't really have the studies to show. If YouTube's performance deteriorated when YouTube introduced like subscription, ads-free subscription, did they essentially lose the like high monetizing users? Um, it's a very very interesting point to actually like look at, and I think only only advertisers that have been spending with YouTube for the last I guess ten years would be really able to kind of see. Though it's an extremely hard comparison to make. How did you how did YouTube ads perform in two thousand? I guess six or seven um, mm -hmm. versus today. Actually, I don't even know when. No, that would not be six or seven. It would be later. But anyways, um, the question actually. So if we go for this, what if 
Okay. Let's start with the question. How likely do you think this scenario is? Google going ads free subscription model or offering it. Um, how much I would like this to be zero out of 10. How much I think <laughs> this would be, uh, let's say two out of 10, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but, uh, I don't think this is likely at all. What could cause, or actually what could like increase this percent? Um, is it like user no. regulators? Is it, I don't know, like, cause SEO, as, as you mentioned, I actually think like Google ads, especially on search, like serve a purpose often like organic search these days, it's, it's so often driven by like bot sites that are just there to harvest like organic uh, keywords that I don't even go into the organic search. I just click the like sponsored. Um, but, mm -hmm. but again, is like, if we think about it, what could be, what could drive such a like move? First thing that came to my mind is whether Google would be willing to develop an alternative form of uh, advertising, uh, an, an alternative placement that is much more intrusive, that it actually uh, diminishes user experience, which would be kind of shooting themselves on the foot in a way, because that like they, they would be risking, yeah, like something like that, like a pop, or like, a, yeah. Yeah, like some music the... or whatever, yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot and willing to be losing market share against your, your uh, competitors or engines, but that's the only case scenario. So it's kind of, hey, we're going to give you a worse user experience, but in exchange, we're going to give you a paid model in which you can get rid of this worse user experience. Look, it's interesting. So obviously, like for, for the last, let's say, 10 years, there was no competition really for Google, okay? So like on the search side, there is a couple of search engines and so on. But suddenly in the last six months, there's ChatGPT. Everyone's talking about ChatGPT essentially being a Google competitor and everyone's putting scrutiny on Google for not developing an AI or not releasing yet something to the market. And like ChatGPT, at, at least for now, the the, the, the only mo like monetization model they have is a subscription, $42 a month, which is not cheap, um, mm -hmm. to give you priority access means that the... Like it guarantees uptime for you as a user, because right now, if you try to go on jet, chat GPT, often you get like timeouts, like too much traffic, we can't handle it. So, but if you pay $42 a month, you get access. Now, if we consider like, you know, everyone's saying chat GPT, let's, let's go for everybody's right. And indeed chat GPT is a, a Google competitor. They're going the subscription route, at least for now. Do you think that increases Google's likelihood of going also like subscription um i told you these questions so, thought exercises <laughs> so so that the potential rate of chat gpt influencing google being willing to go for a subscription free model yeah mm. i just you know i i i don't still i still don't see chat gpt being a real competitor for google just yet I don't see it as much as a search engine rather than a content creation tool or something like that. Um, that doesn't mean that that cannot happen in the future, though. By the way, personally, um, as a user, like I would be fine if ChatGPT would like have um, like native text ads as part of the results. I, I actually like I kind of expected that to be fair. Like the forty-two dollars a month for like priority, like I would not pay that, and I could I could pay that. Let's face it. 
but I would not pay that. I'm, I'm so used to, I think, the internet being mostly free. Um, I wouldn't go for that. And I think I'm a high monetizing user. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the, the $42, $43 um, price barrier that they put, I think, I think there is a way for them to cover themselves against the third-party tools that are leveraging OpenAI technology yeah. um, to basically directly connecting to ChatGPT to offer them content creation tools or, you know, uh, we can create you a Google, you know, um, an ads campaign from scratch. I'll give you all the copies. I'll write you SEO-friendly articles yeah. for free. Um, now they cannot offer this for free anymore. Um, I think this is also momentary and I'm really curious to see where this is going in the sense of, you know, how do they evolve their monetization model to really get the retail users like us uh, to, to pay for this. I would be willing to pay for this if I do find a real use case and properly a better a better price tag Thank for you. the use that I would be willing to give it. Interesting. I, I appreciate the answer, by the way. It actually is like the first time where this $42 suddenly starts making sense for me because for the average like end user, uh, let's say you and I, not from like the professional side of our lives, um, yeah, I think we would like, we're the average user that will not pay the 42 bucks. But on the other hand, if we were like, web builders or content creators, I think, again, professionally as uh, incremental in Binance uh, people, we would probably pay the 42 bucks. There were so many people out there that would not believe how this tool would be free, me included. Like, how, how in the world this tool is free for like unlimited use, everybody? Well, Google was free. Um, Google didn't have ads for the first couple of years. I'm like, I'm, I'm slightly older than you, I think, Pau. And I was, uh, <laughs> to be fair, Google was not the like main search engine I used when I started my career. It was Alta Vista and Yahoo. Google came later and Google was for sure superior from a technological standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, makes me think about uh, the DALI model in which they run with credits if i'm not mistaken right yeah. and you have a limited amount of credits to use per month once you run out of credits um you have to pay for it yeah these are would be more maybe they're just maybe they're just again experimenting with various models because why not um i think you know if you think about it google didn't have ads like straight on they actually did an acquisition um like uh, they didn't develop the whole like adwords um, adsense in-house they made acquisitions and integrated them um, and I think the uh, the same basically might happen with ChatGPT. Like, actually, we don't even know like how will they monetize in a few years from now because I think right now they are enjoying the hype. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm, again, I'm really curious to see where where this goes. Cool. Now moving on to a second question, which is another what if. We actually came from you, and it's a what if marketers access the perfect attribution model and. Obviously, I want to start with understanding from you, Pao, is like, what is the perfect attribution model? Okay. Um, yeah, so I did want to bring this question up because it's something that I do think quite often, given the amount of time that myself and probably most marketers out there spend looking at data, trying to figure out attribution, measurement, and so on. Um, by this perfect attribution, what I mean is just, just pause for a second and imagine a perfect scenario, right, in which we know exactly uh, everything about the user. We know the zero moment of truth. We know when they first discovered about us. We know every single touch point that or interaction that they had with the brand, um, including word of mouth. Why not? Let's just put word of mouth in the model. In the model. Everything that their friends tell, told them um, if they watched an ad on TV and then they switched to, um, to their, their smartphones and they downloaded the app, they went to web, 
you know exactly everything. So basically, you get rid of this uh, um, of all the time that you spend on on uh, figuring attribution, you, so you can focus on the on the real things, right? I, I said that I think a lot about this because again, I would say thirty or even forty percent of my time goes into figuring data uh, instead of you know handling on campaigns, building building the strategy, building the products, and so on. Um, on top of this, I feel like Binance is one of the most complex products that you can find out there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we have a web app. We have uh, an app in two different um, operating systems. Uh, we have a wallet of 14 different products, including an e-learning platform, including a marketplace, including a trader, uh, a trading bio. Um, we have, I don't know, <laughs> infinite different types of user journey, cross-sell attribution. So. It's understandable that a big chunk of our time goes into into um, into these processes, and that therefore we do ask ourselves these questions, right? And it's not even just that, by the way. It's it's also understanding essentially climate. Okay, what what we often call seasonality. It's uh, like there are real world things that influence performance, and it, it's funny that you like mentioned this because we we talked about this like a question a couple of days ago, you and I, and. I, would, I had the same question. So obviously, I'm, I'm also thinking about measurement and attribution quite a bit. It's like you don't start a measurement company if you don't do that. And <laughs> I was with you. My, my dream, my thought before incremental, this was before like ATT and so on, was how can we get all the data points about a user? How can we understand proximity to other devices? So let's say I am now sitting in a, with a group of friends who have multiple devices. And I can know that the friends all have a certain app. Let's go for Binance as an example. This is a valuable data point. This is essentially almost the ability to, to kind of like get into word of mouth. Now, back then, Alexa was very popular. So like uh, the whole like internet of things and um, voice search. And when you have like, uh, you know, Alexa devices essentially always records. There's a small buffer there. So my thought was like, imagining a world where we could essentially understand a user's proximity to other devices. Location, of course, is a given here, but also kind of like tap into keywords spoken. Now, if you add the um, ads the user was like um, exposed to, ads the user um, was um, like near, if you think of like offline billboards and so on, my brain was racing to not just like multi-touch, we're talking now like a journey, multi-touch that takes physical and digital. And I think like what, what kind of like I always thought when I like at the end, if you take all of these data points and the average user, by the way, sees 5,000 ads a day, roughly, that's the academic research says, to try to build like machine learning models to now reverse engineer the user's journey in order to understand why did the user download this app? I actually thought it's too much data. Like it's not efficient. Okay. I think that's why like we ended up at least with incremental because like to try to go at it from that direction would be like enormous amounts of data and resources to solve a very, very simple question. Why did the user do this? And today, actually, I think like that the ideal like attribution model would be a customer being able to tell you, hey, this is why I downloaded your app. 
the problem is I don't think most people know why they actually did something, um, especially when it's like a marketing driven, but that will be the ideal attribution. A user actually telling you, this is why I did this. Because my friends had that. And you get a detail. Yeah. Answer and tell description of every yeah, user and exactly. motivations and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like a really, really like lengthy answer telling you, you know, I was sitting with friends and they all had Binance and I saw an ad on television. And then a few days later, um, market dynamic change and they decided now is the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, you would then require a, a proper tool to aggregate all these data to yeah. define the patterns no, so that you can segment afterwards. Yeah. I guess, I guess what I will, okay. So. <laughs> That was, that was a, a good reflection there. Um, I would give it back to you saying, if you had all the data in the world, again, you mentioned about their friends that have the app, um, their thoughts, what do they tell him? Uh, not even having Alex identifying keywords, but you actually know the exact feeling, you know, what the user feels based on what their friends tell them, because maybe he likes these friends or maybe he doesn't like these friends. And, you know, it's actually counterproductive regardless on, on the fact that the keyword is a positive sentiment or not. Um, let me add just a quick parenthesis here to say that we're preserving user privacy at all times, okay? Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, if you had all the data in the world, uh, everything that you need, um, how far would you go, right? Um, what type of data would you use and what kind of model would you use? If you are not limited by user IDs, you're not limited by probabilistic models, modeling data, cross-device attribution, you have everything you need, you could go as far as you wanted to go, right? By the way, or, or like I think uh, maybe a decade ago when Facebook, uh, Facebook.com, like the, the social platform was crazy hyped out and like everyone was on it and everyone's wall and feed and that was basically what people do. Um, Facebook actually experimented on understanding users' emotions and target ads based on that and then there was enormous amount of scrutiny against again from the same groups that, uh, that uh, lobby privacy. Because like, it doesn't really make sense to gather that much data for something that as simple as measuring the performance of campaigns. And yeah, I, I, like, you know, part of me, of course, like understands it. Um, and it's weird because like I've been in this industry for like 20 plus years. And like in, in a way, this industry had like 20 years of unlimited access to user level data. And suddenly when they took it away from us, um, it was a crazy panic, but reality, I think like, if you look back, marketing always worked, um, even based on creativity, gut feeling, making decisions. Yes, of course you want measurement, but measurement doesn't need to try to tap into everything the user did and felt. Um, I think that's really, really good for, again, profiling, uh, users to understand and go into new markets, for example, but honestly, like, um, there is no model that can actually find the identical twin for any of us. Um, and if you were to take three users, um, they're likely going to be different people than one another. And it's hard to actually find a real pattern that could give you an actionable insight for you to market better at scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's more what I was trying to go to with the question and both the answer. Not that much about campaign optimization. I feel like even even right now we have pretty good tools out there to have a decent grasp of campaign performance, especially for Android devices. Um, but I was thinking more about um, yeah, you mentioned it, customer profiling, um, informing and uh, making product decisions based on these insights. 
Um, and probably, you know, uh, going going back to the holy grail question on marketing to find out what half percent, what fifty percent of your budget are you wasting? Right? You could you could definitely answer that question. And you know, if you if you're able to tell, let's just, let's assume that you're in a situation in which marketing doesn't work that well. Right? You're struggling. Your campaigns are not working. But if you have all the data points, if you have, if you know exactly what our users are feeling, you know who are they? Are you really tapping into the right audiences? You kind of get out of the of the table the question on is my marketing working or not? Um, whereas if it's working, um, you know that the marketing is right. But if it's not, maybe it's a product issue, right? Maybe you didn't find your uh, right product market fit, or the total addressable um, market is not uh, large enough. So. I think that one of the ultimate benefits of this hypothetical model, unrealistic model, is that um, basically y you know whether what you're doing works or not, and you pass the question back to product in this case. So, by the way, the whole the whole like theme of this uh, like interviews is exploring the multiverse. It means that there is a universe where all of this data is available, uh, and there are marketers there who can actually tap into all of these data points um, in, a, in a way where they can actually even trust the data they're getting, um, proximity, location, uh, emotions, and so on. Um, let's go for another universe okay, with another what if question. What if in another universe, Apple decided, you know what, we made a mistake. ATT was a mistake. Um, we're gonna revert our decision and allow tracking by default. What do you think would happen if that's the case? They will basically be reverting the everything that they have been doing for the past four years now, right? Pretty much. We get most user IDs. We only we only stop getting user IDs from the people that opted out by going to the settings tab, this hidden feature that was there back in the day. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, first immediate effect, I would say most marketers or the 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 global shift um sorry i'll go i'll go back from the beginning i didn't structure that sentence well the most immediate effect that i think would happen is that there would be a shift back from um from span between um os so there's there's a clear uh, sh um shift towards uh spending more on android um after after this whole implementation i think that you know this would even out and we would be able to again tap into the higher valuable higher value audiences um, from selected industries that represent the iOS um, audiences. Um, so that would be good. Again, um, another one, there wouldn't be any conversion modeling. I assume we would be going back to the old I do fully reliable that... last yeah. click, data driven multi-touch. Um, we would have proper optimization at the ad level, at the keyword level, everything. That would be great. <laughs> um, Who yeah, the, I mean, on the which companies is, would be the biggest winners? How about gaming? I would say I'm really not knowledgeable about gaming, but I feel like gaming would be the the, the biggest winner here. My feeling is that like Facebook would throw a massive party because their stock is going to skyrocket 
immediately if this happens because uh, again it's like facebook was the biggest like loser um from att yeah i remember how was the reaction when all of this happened um it was funny to compare how they reacted against how google reacted yeah in which one was pretty much raging and blaming and pointing at each other and google were just like silent they didn't yeah. say anything no they facebook let them fight against facebook. each other Facebook put like newsletter ads saying that this move is uh, going against uh, um, small shops and small developers and brick and mortar and really, really pushed it, um, basically saying that this is like a disruptive for the like one million small advertisers that no one really thinks about because they don't have the methodologies and the ability to actually now market at scale and measure at scale. Um, but let's face it, it was of course like very bad for them. Yeah, it was not a great move. You know, the, the thing that I give, leaving aside all the politics and, you know, um, Facebook reacted and all that, um, if we look at it on the point of view of the, of us marketers, I think there is this feeling of discontent around the community in the fact that at least to me and, and, you know, you do get the, the feeling that they didn't really consult what marketers, which at the end are the ones who are playing with the platforms, um, have to say to that. You know, when they build the whole timer system and the postback, um, it, they didn't feel like they took into consideration, um, you know, the end users of the of the attribution model, um, which would be us. Um, and proof of that proof of that is the fact that they applied massive changes in the scan uh, 4.0 uh, yeah. update that they released, right? So. But you know, there's no shame on admitting uh, the error. I wouldn't point my finger at uh, at Apple. Um, there's no pride here, no shame. It's okay to to pivot back if they want to do it. Uh, we wouldn't be mad. <laughs> we would accept it. Uh, we just need to find another way to preserve user identity um, and privacy uh, while while allowing us to do our jobs properly, right? <laughs> cool. Yeah. Highly unlike it, though. Let me say, highly unlike it. Probably. And now, last question is more about you. Pa, what are you doing in a parallel universe right now? What am I doing? Mm. You know what I'm doing? I'm building, <laughs> I'm building cottages. Cottages? I am, I, I'm building cabins. Okay. Um, you know, since I was very little, I, what I would do as a kid was just build how do you call them? You just call them cabins, right? Uh, the tree houses, tree houses. Ah, okay. Sorry, that was not probably the right word. Um, <laughs> I love doing that. And that, this is one of the things that I stopped doing because of, you know, grown up responsibilities. So either when I have more free time, uh, when I retire or just when, you know, um, yeah, just in general, that's what I would like to do. Nice. Just lost, just lost in the boots, kind of like where I am right now. No neighbors, mm -hmm. no one around. Um, internet, yes, why not? But just like myself, building a, a treehouse. <laughs> Very cool. I did not know that about you. It's really yeah, cool, by the way, the, this question, because it's always a surprise question for people. It's amazing, actually, what, uh, like, how little we know about the people we work with regularly. 100%. You tell me, I work in a fully remote company. There's people that I rarely see their faces, and it's uh, hard sometimes to, you know, tap into social relationships um, or to engage properly with, with your coworkers. So Paul, thank you so much again. Uh, it's been a pleasure. 
and see you soon face to face that's gonna be awesome likewise yeah looking forward to it more thanks for having me again cool cheers bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.